The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Today we are in week six of our series, Begin Again. If you haven't been able to hear the past sermons, I encourage you, you can go online to faithtroy.org or you can go on iTunes and search for Faith Troy and you can catch up with those messages. Throughout the series, what we have been doing is looking at our life and asking the question, what would it look like if we had a fresh start? What would it look like if we wiped the slate clean and went back to the beginning? What, what are those questions? What are those truths? What, what are those promises that we would go back to as the starting point with our relationship with God? If, if we were to begin, or if we were to begin again, what would we ask? See, because what we understand about, about life is many of us, over time, we drift. That maybe at one point we were committed or cared, we believed, and then at another we drifted away. And we don't believe what we once believed. And so, and so what we want to do is ask and wrestle with the question, what are the most important things when it comes to our relationship with God? Where should we start when it comes to who Jesus is and what he's done for us? If you could open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 1,819. Now when we read this text today, we're going to focus in on three different zones of time. See, when the Apostle Paul writes about the work of Christ here in Ephesians chapter 2, he's going to point us backwards. He's going to point back to history, to the past, but he's also going to then point us to the moment, the present moment, the present reality. And he will also point forward to what lies ahead. Now in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes some of the most profound words of God's grace in all of scriptures. The apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 writes, it is by grace you have been saved. And this is not by works so that no one can boast, but it's the gift of God. That God's grace is unearned and it's undeserved. And then he says, for you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good. That the way that God des- designed you is that in light of what God has done for you, now you love and serve the people around you. And so now in verses 11 and following, what Paul will do is help us think about our relationship with God and how that un- impacts us as the family of God. That when we look at our relationship and God's grace and and what God has done for us and how God has created us. He will encourage these early followers of Jesus to look back, to look present, and to look forward. And so what I want us to do today is as we dive into this text, he'll do the same thing. Because what if we began again and we looked in the same places that Paul suggests these early Christians begin themselves. And so I'm going to read, I'll start in verse 11 and we'll read a few verses And then spend some time unpacking those. Verse 11, Paul writes, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the uncircumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. See, Paul points them here to look back. He points these early followers of Jesus to look to the past, to to remember what happened. 
Paul says, remember who you were by birth. Remember where you came from. Remember what you were called. Remember you were separate from Christ. Remember you were excluded from citizenship. Remember you were foreigners. Remember you were without hope. Remember you were without God. See, Paul is very clear that he wants them to look back and not forget what they experienced, what happened. And so Paul reminds them of their past differences, their past suffering, their past hurts. And he does this because these have influenced where they've ended up. They've shaped them. They've influenced them. They've molded them. And so Paul wants them to look back and to understand there's something important about those things that happened. There's something important about those experiences. Now the same is true in our own life. There are events and experiences that when you look back on them, They seem to define you. Now, you may not have realized it in that moment, but you may not have been experiencing that conversation or that that thing, that struggle, that relationship as being defining. But now when you look back at it, it seems that your identity and the way you see yourself is all wrapped up in that. That you look back and you see a defining identity that came from where you were born or what you looked like. A defining identity that came from from a particular sin that you struggled with. A defining identity that came from a career path you chose or relationships you had. A defining identity that came because of, of something you did. A defining identity because of something you suffered through. A defining identity that came from something somebody said to you or about you. A defining identity that came from something someone did to you. And so these are exactly the kind of things that Paul points out for these early Christians. He says, look back, look at where you came from, look at your suffering, look at your hurt, look at your pain. Remember the things that they said about you. Remember the things that they did to you. Remember how you were excluded. Remember when you were in that situation and you felt like you had no hope. Paul says, remember that. And he does it. Because he wants them to know while those seem to be influential and defining, they're not defining. Because what Paul points out about the past is that it's past. And while it has shaped the people we've become, it does not define who we are. Jesus makes our past not define our present. And so when Paul writes to these early Christians, he wants them to understand that those things happen. They matter. They're influential. And now as the community of believers, we can be tied together by those common sufferings, those common hurts, and understand that they do not define us. The work of Jesus does. That Jesus defines who we are. Jesus defines our present. A couple weeks ago, I was putting my daughter to bed. And so as I was tucking my daughter into bed, she made an interesting comment that was, that was a bit surprising. And so as I was tucking her to bed, her, her comment was, I, I hope Christmas isn't tomorrow. Now, if, you, if, you, if you've been around little kids, that's not, that's not usually the way they talk about Christmas. And, and so I was a bit confused because my kids have been asking since October, when's Christmas? Right day after day after day, we have to go through the routine of when, when, it, when the holidays all line up. But this night, my daughter wanted to make sure that Christmas was not in the morning. And so I started asking her questions. And so, and so her response, her explanation, well, I had a very bad day. She says, I was, I was naughty today. And so for her, she was fearful that in the morning, if tomorrow's Christmas, she's not getting any presents from Santa 
See, there's something about that line, right? He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. That for a kid, that's not very good news, is it? And so that kept my daughter awake. Now, now, don't worry. My kids are very excited about Santa. They've got their list in, and they've got their pictures. We're, we're good to go. But, but, but the reason I share that is I think when it comes to the way that we think about God, many of us think about God the same way my daughter thought about Santa that night. That we, we have these things that keep us awake at night, wondering, am I on the naughty list or the nice list? Have I been bad or good? We treat God as though he's making a list and checking it twice, trying to determine where we fall. And we'll use our past to be the way that we answer that question. I mean, won't we? We'll look back and we'll say, all right, here's what I did. Here's what I said. Here's the experiences I had. Here's the suffering I went through. And if I went through that, well, what, what must God think of me if that happened to me? If they said this to me, if I, got, if I had this sickness, or if they said this, did this. And so I look back at the past and I say, well, if this happened, if I did this, if this experience happened, well, then that must say where I fall with God. And so it keeps us up at night. Because what does God think of me? What must he think of me if that's what my past looks like? And so what Paul wants to do is he wants to make sure that when we look back, we look back, but do not let those things define you. Because who you were is not who you are. And what happened to you is not what God says about you. The sin you struggled with, the sin that was done to you, none of those things determine who you are. See, when our experiences define who we are, we're without hope. Because we can look back and we have negative experiences and so those, those are hopeless. We look at them and, well, if that's all that I have to look to, I don't have any hope. Or we look to good experiences and we, and we find ourselves getting, getting hopeful in things that aren't really reliable. And so when our hope is put in our experiences, we don't really have much to put our faith in, do we? And so what Paul wants to do is he wants to give us good news, not bad. When, when your sin has keeping you up at night. When your hurts keep coming back to you. Paul wants to point you to Jesus. He, he wants to say, look to Jesus. And, now, and he doesn't say ignore those things. He's not saying don't pretend they didn't happen. But he's saying when it comes to your hope, look forward. Look at Christ. In the book of Hebrews, the writer, writer of Hebrews would say, look into Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. See, he writes this knowing that there are all kinds of things in life that want to trip us up, that want to get in the way, that want to rob us of joy and freedom and peace. And so the writer of Hebrews says, look to Jesus. Don't look to the sin that's entangling you. Don't look to the sufferings that, that's getting in the way and not ignoring that it happened. But just look forward because your hope is found in Jesus, not in those other things. So he says, look to Jesus. And what do we see when we look at Jesus? We see one who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That, that when God came as a baby, it wasn't like, like, like there was a conversation happening in heaven and where Jesus is like, I don't want to go down there. Like, it's not like, he's like, I'm a king. 
I'm a king. I don't show up in a stable. Like, this is not how it works. He's not saying, All right, I'm, not, I'm not showing up in poverty. I deserve wealth and riches. Jesus isn't saying, well, hold on. This isn't how it works. No, it's for the joy set before him. It means it gave God great joy to actually show up. It gave God joy to show up in the neighborhood, to become one of us. It gave him joy to go to the cross. It wasn't a reluctant. I don't think about it. No, it was for his joy that he would endure the cross, that he would despise the shame. And so what do we do? We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus to define us. Because your past doesn't define you. The work of Jesus does. And so this is why Paul in verse 13 says, but now, but now in this moment today, in your current situation, in the, in the things that you're dealing with right now, he says, this is who you are. This is the way God sees you. This is the way that God defines you in this moment. So he tells us, look to Jesus, because Jesus, you're brought near to Jesus, and Jesus wants to give himself to you. And so Paul, as he continues in Ephesians, he will begin describing for us what God gives us. That when, when we are brought near to Jesus, as Jesus defines who we are in this moment, Paul tells us, beginning in verse 14, about the gifts that God wants to give us. It says about Jesus, He himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. See, when we are brought near to Jesus, he gives us peace. He gives us a relationship with God. He makes us members of the family. This is why Paul says that Jesus himself is our peace. And again, this peace isn't given by what happened in our past. Because many of us can look back at those things and it doesn't seem very peaceful. But it says about Jesus that Jesus has come to give you peace. It tells us that we might be reconciled to God. We, are, we would no longer be foreigners and aliens, but are members of God's household. Because we've been brought near to Jesus. The things that prevented us and robbed us from joy and freedom have been pushed to the side when God makes us his family. We've been given peace from the condemnation of the law. Paul even uses the words to say, says abolish the law. Now that doesn't mean that there is no more law. It doesn't mean that there aren't commands, that God doesn't call us to do good things. God plenty of times tells us what is right and good and loving. But what Paul is doing here is he wants to remind us those things that keep you up at night, or the sin that you see catching up to you, 
the debt that you see following you, it's been paid in full. See, what Paul wants to do, he wants to remind us that the weight and power of the bad news is crushed by the good news. That the promise of Jesus overweighs that. And so when you are kept awake at night because of, the, because of what happened in your past, Jesus wants to speak good news about the present, of who Jesus says you are. And Jesus' gifts aren't determined by whether we are naughty or not. He gives them freely. And so when you can't go to sleep because you know what you did, he's come to give peace. Now what's interesting about this passage is what Paul also suggests is that what happens here is not just about us and God. Right? He seems to use this language that, that paints a picture that it's not just, just me and God, but it's me and the family of God. That it's me and other people. And so he uses this language, the household of God, a new humanity. Because what Paul understands is that when we've been given a new identity in Christ, it impacts the relationships we have. And so he uses these, these important, strong words about the family of God. See, because for the family of God at this time, where you have these, these Jewish people who grew up with the customs, the traditions, the beliefs, they get it. And then all of a sudden, there's this other group of people who are outsiders that want to become part of this Jesus movement. And they don't have the same traditions. They don't have the same experiences. They don't know the Hebrew scriptures like, like they do. But they've been captivated by this Jesus. And they show up and they want to be a part of the family. And so there are all these tensions. And so when Paul addresses them, what does he say? That Jesus has removed this dividing wall of hostility. This barrier that these two become one. See, God does something incredible in the church. He unites us together. Regardless of experiences, backgrounds, traditions. And he invites those who are separated alone into the family. See, what's interesting about this, maybe some of you are here and you're a guest. Maybe you kind of, you, you're here and you're new to this whole Jesus thing. And because of that, what you may be, may, may be thinking, you're like, all right, I'm here, but I don't really feel like I belong. Like, I just don't get this. I don't get the whole singing to God thing. I don't get the traditions and why we use the words we do. And so maybe this all seems strange and unfamiliar. Now, here, here's what's interesting about that. You join a long history of people who felt that very same way. That they felt like they didn't belong. And maybe as you, as, you, as you experience and feel that tension, you feel like, but there's something about this Jesus thing. That feeling what, that you have, that's what we would call the Holy Spirit. And, and he's doing something, drawing you near to himself. See, in, in the story of Christmas, the same thing happens. See, the, when Jesus is born, who does God tell first? He doesn't tell the religious people. He doesn't show up in the temple to say, here's who showed up for you. He goes to the fields. To the shepherds, the outsiders. The book of Ephesians is writ written, right? Because there are these group of Gentiles. They're foreigners. They're outsiders. They don't have the same traditions. They don't have the same familiarity with the scriptures. They, they don't feel like they belong. And some of the Jewish people even actually made sure they didn't feel like they belonged. And so Paul is writing these words. He said, we're going to get rid of those barriers. We're going to get rid of that hostility, that anger, and instead be reminded that Jesus has made us one family. 
that he's brought us together. And so if you feel like you're an outsider, Jesus invites you in. And so what Paul wants to do then here is remind us that when we are made a part of the family, that God does work on the family, that where we are in the present is secured in our standing before God, but who we are in the present is not yet complete. In verse 22, when it tells us, in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What that reminds us is our identity is secured. But the work that God is doing isn't finished with us. That God's still changing us. He's still convicting us. He's still transforming us. And so as the family of God, he is still helping us become the kind of family of God that he calls us to be. And so we're reminded, in the present, it is finished. In the present, your, your family, in the present, you are God's child. And no one can change that. And while we know it is finished, Paul also wants to remind us that God's not done with you yet. That the work that God is doing, he's still working on you. That the spirit of God is still transforming you. This is why Paul also in Philippians would say that God who began this work in you, God will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, he hasn't brought it to completion in you yet. Now now his work, your righteousness, your standing, your forgiveness, that work is complete. But the work work that will one day be completed of God making you and forming you into his likeness, that work's not done. And it will not be done until the day of Christ Jesus when God restores all of creation, when all is put back together. When all the pain, when all the suffering, when all the evil, when all the injustice, when all your scars, when all of those are finally healed, when all the sad comes untrue. And so we eagerly wait, knowing securely where we stand now. And we can do so because God's made us his family. There's a story I recently heard about a girl named Lydia. Now Lydia gets tired of her her life. She gets tired of where she lives, what she's doing. And so she, she grew up in this place called Lake Wobegon. She decides she's going to move to New Orleans so things can be different. And so she goes to New Orleans, lives it up, does the things she wants. But eventually it becomes routine too. Like she left and things are different, but, but eventually she just gets used to it. It becomes routine. It becomes commonplace. And so eventually, she, she tries to start figuring out, well, what, maybe there's something more. What she comes to the conclusion is that that something more is to be loved. To be known, to be cherished, to have someone in her life. And so she meets a man at, the, at some parties. And so when she meets this man, she falls in love, and eventually she moves in with him. But eventually, while, while she's looking for that something more, what she realizes in this relationship is it's not giving her what she was hoping He doesn't want to give up the lifestyle. He doesn't want to give up the parties. And he's done nothing more but put her to work cleaning up the empty bottles after him. And so one morning she's just done with it. And so she writes a check for rent and puts it on the TV and gets out of there. And she gets on a bus to go back to Lake Wobegon. And so when when the bus arrives back to her town, 
She gets, back, she gets off the bus and looks around, and things look very familiar. But she remembers the buildings and the streets, the sights and the sounds of the town she grew up in. But when she gets off the bus, it's all familiar, but at the same time, she feels like she's an outsider. Like she remembers it, but she feels like she doesn't belong there anymore. And as she walks the streets, people know her story. They, they've heard about her. The word gets around, and so they whisper, they talk. Because Lydia's back. And so they start talking about what they know, what she did, what she said, the people she's hurt. See, the familiarity for Lydia only makes her feel more like an outsider, not less like one. And so eventually she gets home. And so as the family's gathered for Thanksgiving, the family who she's known for so long hardly feels like family. And so she, she gets up from the dinner table and she heads to their living room. And while she's in the living room, she, she's trying to escape all these family that she doesn't want to talk to. And so she visits the fireplace mantle in that living room. And while she's looking at it, she's reminded of all the things that she's remembered for so long. And so she rubs her hand across the mantle, feeling and looking at the decorations that have been there every year, year after year. She remembers the traditions, the songs they sing, the things they looked at, the things they said. And then she comes to a picture. A picture that is not familiar like the other things on the mantle. Now the reason it's unfamiliar is not the picture itself. See, the the reason it's unfamiliar is not the picture. Because the picture is her. It's her senior year picture. Her hair perfectly in place. She remembers that full well. But on the picture, her father typed up on his typewriter this little label. And shoved it into the picture. It says, this is our Lydia. Now the reason... To do that seems a bit strange. Like, why, why do you label a picture in your own house? But Lydia knew exactly what was going on. Because she knew people would show up in that living room. Some of those people had no idea who she was. They knew nothing about the story. They didn't even know that, that, that they had a daughter. But what her, she knew, that her dad wanted the people who showed up in his living room to look at that picture and say, that's, that's my girl. He wanted to make sure that whoever showed up there, that they knew he had a daughter and he loved her. And she also knew that not only was it for the people who didn't know her, but the people who knew everything. It was for the people who knew the father's heartbreak. They knew the tears he cried. The anger he had. It was for the people who gossiped about her. Who said, couldn't you believe what she did, what she said? It was for those people because when they showed up, her father wanted them to look at the mantle and see that that is my little girl. And nothing you say, nothing you've seen, nothing she's done will change that this is our Lydia. That's what Paul is getting at. That he, that God has made us a part of his family. Your picture is on God's mantle. And no past, no hurt, no rebellion changes that. That God simply takes your picture and and reminds you, no, it says, my child, 
And maybe some of you are even here. Like, you, you, you've been done for a while. Like, you left, you gave up on it, and you're, you're just looking at it. And I don't know if I can do this whole church thing anymore. I'm, I'm done with it. And so maybe for, me, for you, you're back. And it oddly is familiar, but you feel like you don't belong. And maybe what God wants to remind you in this moment is that your picture's been on the mantle the whole time. And nothing can change that. Because Jesus gives you a label that says you're family. And so he reminds you that in this moment, to be reminded and cemented in that promise, that he's made you family. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the promise that you have given yourself to us. That you've labeled us as family. That you've invited us in. We pray that as a family, that you make us into the family that you want us to be. That you remove the barriers, the dividing walls that we put up so that all who are far from you might be brought near, so that they might experience the peace that only you can give to them, that they might have relationships with you restored, that they, that they would be made a part of your family. And so remind each and every one of us that when you look at us, that we are seen as a child of God, that your love and sacrifice and grace has made us a part of your family and nothing will change that. Nothing we do and nothing we say, nothing that anyone sees in us or says about us can change who we are because of what you've done.